This is Transistor.fm. This episode is sponsored by Bullet Train. If you're building a SaaS in Ruby on Rails, stop what you're doing right now and visit bullettrain.co. We're going to tell you more about that in a bit. Now on to the show. Hello, welcome to Build Your SaaS. This is the behind the scenes story of building a web app in 2018. I'm John Buda, a web developer. And I'm Justin Jackson. I'm a product and marketing guy, and we want you to follow along as we launch Transistor.fm. All right, John, we're back in the saddle. How's it going, man? Good, good. It's a nice sunny day here. Things are heating up finally in, in Chicago. It smells, it smells like patchouli in the office today for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that's the, is that the mystery of the week? Like we got to figure out I, yeah. wh- why it doesn't smell like patchouli. I, I think someone is actually burning patchouli. <laughs> Some sort of incense somewhere. That's hilarious. I mean, it's kind of a hippy dippy place over there, isn't it? Yeah, it is a little bit. Bunch of liberals just burning incense. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, oh man, I don't, I, I can't recover from this. Um, yeah, I'm doing a road trip this uh, tomorrow, going to back home to Edmonton. Oh, I hope my sister doesn't hear this before I get there. We're going for a surprise birthday party. She won't. No, oh, nice. th- we're, we're publishing this on Tuesday. So happy right. birthday, Emma! You're not listening to the show. I know that. Um, so we're gonna go there, but apparently they're gonna get like 20 centimeters of snow or something. Oh, wow. Um, the snow just melted here. Let's see here. Edmonton weather warning. Oh, yeah. Snowfall warning. Four hours ago, 10 to 15 centimeters expected. So, what's a centimeter? Jen, Justin, what's a centimeter for what, our American listeners? <laughs> what is a centimeter? Okay. So, let's see. Let's say 15 <laughs> centimeters to inches. What is that? That's going to be 5.9, 5.9 inches. That's, that's a fair amount, man. That's a, yeah, that's a decent amount. That's a decent amount. That'll mess up, that'll mess up travel. Yeah, could could be an interesting driving. Oh, yeah, and look at all these weather warnings. They all have cars, pictures of cars backed up in them. <laughs> Uh-oh. Oh, man. So hopefully I'll be okay. Um, but yeah, this, uh, what else is, let's talk about what's been happening with Transistor. Um, we've got more customers more downloads. Oh, I submitted my first pull request. That was exciting. Yep. Yeah, that was good. Got that merged in. What was that? That was just a readme update, wasn't it? I think it was a readme update, but yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. Um, thanks to Francois here in Vernon that helped me get my Rails environment up and running. We're going to talk about our this week's topic is nerd stuff. We're going to talk about our whole tech stack, what we're using for all that, you know, performance and all that stuff. But yeah, so I'll talk about getting my environment up in a bit. Um, I also wanted to tell you this really funny story about our live chat. You know, you know how we have that little widget on our, our, on our webpage? Yeah. So last night, 5.45 PM, I'm in, I'm in the office kind of working late and you and I have this like kind of informal, like whoever's watching the chat kind of responds and it makes a noise in Slack when a new, 
uh, someone initiates a new chat. And so I'm like, okay, I'll just pop in there. Uh, and we're starting to help some of our early access customers, right? So I'm like, okay, I'll just pop mm-hmm. in, help. Normally it's customers that are using it. And so <laughs> pop in and this guy goes, hey, I jumped the gun and I recorded my first episode. And he's like, I just don't know how to publish it. I'm like, and so I'm thinking, oh, this is a customer, right? So I'm like, okay, can you just go to your team tab and invite me? And the guy's like, team tab? He's like, uh, someone just suggested this site and I came and I clicked on this live chat and now I'm here. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, okay, well, uh, do you want an account? We're currently in early access. <laughs> and the, what continued was it just it just kind of snowballed into this bigger thing. He's like, okay, sure. Um, from what I understand, I need a website and RSS feed. So he's just trying to figure out what do I need to host a podcast? And then he's yeah. like, does this cost money? And I'm like, okay, so <laughs> I have to explain to this person like how podcast hosting works, how you have to like, yeah. you're going to have to pay for this. I'm like, yeah, we're, we're doing early access. It's going to be this much, but we're doing early access for this much. Here's kind of what we offer. And he's like, and I'm like, you know, I'm in the office right now. If you wanted to sign up right now, I can like walk you through all the steps because the app is really new. <laughs> and then at one point I go, so do you want to do it? He's like, you know what? This site was, got recommended so much. By the way, I don't know who recommended us. Yeah, that's like, great. He's like, this site got recommended so much. You know, that sounds good. Spending that amount of money for hosting sounds good. Sign me up, brother. And so... <laughs> I just like started like onboarding this guy. And as I was taking him through it, this is why this live chat's so great and talking to your customers yeah. is so great because I'm realizing, I'm thinking all of the friction points that it takes to get up. He's got an episode and he wants to just get it out on the internet so people can listen to it. And I'm thinking about yeah. in the, my head, all of the friction points that it's going to take him to go from, he's got an episode to... Uh, you know, it's published on the internet. So oh, the great. first thing I asked him, this is interesting because I've, I've started to notice some trends. People, um, you're going to get to talk about your nerd stuff in a sec, John. I, I just got to get this out of my system. So the, the first time people record a podcast, it usually doesn't sound that good. And there's a bunch of reasons for that. We'll go into in future episodes. But I had him send me his MP3 because I'm like, it's likely it's a two-person podcast. They probably recorded it with one mic. It probably needs its levels adjusted. So he sends me the MP3. So in one window, I'm leveling his MP3 automatically. All right? In the next window, I'm thinking, okay, I got to walk him through this stuff, but I have no way of screen sharing. So I open up... uh, a video recording, and I start recording myself doing a video tutorial. Hey, it's Justin from Transistor, and this is how you create a show. Meanwhile, he's like asking me questions in chat, and I'm like pausing my video recording, going over, answering him, checking this MP3 that's leveling, <laughs> going back to the video tutorial, going, all right, so the next step is you, and I'm just going through all of this stuff, recording it. As I'm, I finished the first video tutorial, <laughs> I export it, upload it to YouTube, drop it in the chat as we're just kind of going along. And then I'm like, oh, wait a second, but he's going to want to add an episode. So then I go back, record another video <laughs> tutorial. Hey, how's it going? Da, 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 da. And I'm like updating him the whole time. I'm like, okay, your, your MP3 is 30% done. And 
then I sent his MP3 back to him. I said, listen to both. You choose whichever one you want. Guiding him through the process of adding an episode, doing it. And to to be fair, like he actually was able to do a lot of the steps himself and yeah. get it going. We got through this whole thing. So by, okay, so we started at 545 and by the time we were done, and I'm just, I, I'm just like in adrenaline mode because I'm, I'm working all these different angles and creating all this stuff. And I was willing to do the work because I was like, this is going to be so good for us for like, you know, customer support and yeah. being able to reuse this stuff. And so <laughs> by 6.30, we had his show published. We had his website configured. I gave him the instructions on how to submit it to iTunes. And the dude was just pumped because he had his, he'd recorded this episode with his buddy and it was up on the internet and he was able to yeah. share it with his friends or whatever. Oh, uh, that's amazing. So yeah, that's my live chat story. And I figured I should share it. That's a really, yeah, that's a really cool interaction <laughs> with the customer. I like that. Sign me up, brother. Sign me up, brother. And the, and the weird part is, you know, this is one of my, the few times I've had just a stranger come to a website and it's just like, all of a sudden you're chatting with them. They're on the line. And and I'm thinking, I could totally help this person sign up right now. Like that's yeah. that's possible. So that's the hardest I've ever worked for that amount of money. Because <laughs> really, you know, we're in early access. We're not charging that much right now. And um, yeah. You know, if I was going to charge for that, that would have been like a couple grand worth of work. <laughs> but yeah, I was seriously, just, yeah. When you're building a web app, you're you're willing to do all this stuff. So that um, that's cool. That sort of reminds me of um, a uh, interaction that I had with a co-founder of a different service. Well, it's Stripe, which is what we use for our payment processing, which we can go into later in detail. But yeah, um, it was like the early days of Stripe. Uh, their design was like awful. I don't think they had a very big team. It might have been like 2010 or something like that. Yeah. And I was I was working at a different company and we were using Stripe uh, for payment processing because we'd heard great things about it and how it was great for developers. Um, this isn't a funny story, unfortunately, but <laughs> but I, I they had a they had a campfire channel, which is campfire is the this service that um, 37 Signals used to have. Yeah, kind of like a base camp. Yeah, kind of like, like Slack. Slack. They had a community channel where you could just hop in and ask questions to the team. And it was actually, I ended up talking to one of the co-founders who was, I think, I think it was Patrick Collison. Maybe no was way. Like the, you know, it's like these two brothers who started this company and, and built the thing. Yeah. And they were still coding on it at the time. They might be still, but. By the way, they're, they are the youngest billionaires in the world right now, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I believe it. I mean, they're super smart, like really nice, helpful guys. And like, I think. That sort of sold me on it too. I was I hopped in this campfire channel and I was able to chat with these two guys who were starting this company and they helped me fix a problem. Uh, and it was great. It was a great experience. Yeah. I don't think they still have that channel because of how big they are now, but it's just crazy thinking back to those the earlier days of Stripe and um, yeah, it, it was great. It, and I, I I feel the same way. Like I like helping people out and solving their problems. And yeah, it makes such a difference. Especially in the beginning, if and there's this very popular essay, I think it's by Paul Graham called Do Things That Don't Scale. And mm -hmm. the idea is in the early stages of a startup, those interactions where you're 
walking someone through the sign-up process manually, when you're doing all of this work, you know, spending an hour with a customer, helping them level their MP3 and do it, that is all really important because you're seeing these are the struggles people have. These are the opportunities yeah. that we could build for, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, yeah, it's like user testing almost. You get too used to the product you're, you're building and you don't really notice the, where things are lacking. Totally. Totally. I'll, I'll drop those videos in the show notes and folks can watch them knowing what was going on at the time. It's pretty funny. <laughs> That's great. It sounded like you needed some one of those like hacker like six screen setups where you're just <laughs> like. Yeah. Six screens and a power glove. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Um, so we're going to talking about power glove. We're going to talk about our tech stack and, um, maybe a good way to start is for you to just go through everything we've used so far to build transistor to where it's at right now. So what is the stack? What have we used? Uh, so let's see where to start with this. Um, transistor is built on Ruby on rails. Uh, the latest version of that. Um, it's powered by a Postgres database. Um, it uses Redis, which is like a key value store for uh, caching and for, for storing background tasks. And then uh, uses this Ruby gem called Sidekick, which sort of handles um, processing queues of things in the background so they don't tie up the actual web app itself. It's pretty. It's pretty simple. I mean, it's... It's Ruby on Rails and everything that comes with that. It's yep. a database. It is, you know, a handful of JavaScript on top of that. We use uh, Stripe for payment processing, like I said. Um, lots of background tasks that run, in, that, you know, do the heavier lifting things like processing audio files if they need to be processed. And um, What are we using uh, Yarn for? Yarn is for, I don't believe it's actually being used. It's It's a package manager, dependency manager for JavaScript libraries. Mm. Um, I'm not actually hooking into that yet, but I will be. Okay. And we're hosting it with uh, Amazon Web Services? Yep. We're hosting it with uh, AWS, um, which is great. I mean, it's, you know, runs like half the internet at this point. Yeah. Um, at least. <laughs> and it it was what I knew and what I had used before, so I kind of went with it. Um, and you know, we chose it obviously because it's very powerful and very uh, um, scalable, dependable, scalable, dependable. Um, but also because we ended up signing up with uh, Stripe Atlas to get the company started, and yeah. they provided a bunch of credits for AWS, so you can just like pretty much host this thing for for free for a while while you get started and you know build up revenue. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like kind of kind of a no brainer for that. Um. And and what are we yeah. using for CDN? Is that with AWS too? It's not with AWS. So we we uh, we have kind of some redundancy built in. So we have all of our customers' audio files on S3, which is the um, Amazon's like file store service. Um, and then on top of that, we actually have an external dedicated server um, that kind of acts as a CDN that caches all the audio files um, and then sends them out through this dedicated server that we have. So 
that there's a, there's a bunch of different ways you can serve media. Um, you could serve it directly from S3 if you want, but at large monthly bandwidth gets like crazy expensive on S3. Yeah. Um, you know, past a certain point, you're you're spending like thousands and thousands of dollars a month, and it's super simple. But past a certain point, it's just really not not very affordable for that. And then there's other third party CDNs you can use, but they're similarly expensive and have you know like bandwidth limits and and thresholds and they're great because they're you know globally distributed um but uh you can kind of rule your own if you you have some knowledge i had a, a friend of mine joe helped me out and set up a kind of kind of a cdn that's just built on top of a pretty powerful server and has a lot of very fast uh cheap bandwidth yeah so that we don't we don't go bankrupt right away yeah and a lot of this stuff ends up being important too. the way we configure this, both in terms of reliability for our customers, but also in terms of how we're going to be able to scale this um, in terms of costs. And so, um, you know, one friend I had, Morgan, shout out to Morgan. Uh, he He's like, you know, I always hear podcast hosts of really big shows complaining about the reliability of their service, saying, you know, people can't download shows fast enough. Uh, sometimes because these podcatchers will all down, like you publish an episode at 1 a.m. on Monday and all the podcatchers go and download it at the same time. So if you've got a big right. show, that's millions of downloads all at once. And if there's not infrastructure to support that, sometimes it'll crash. Sometimes it'll go offline. Sometimes people just won't be able to download the show. And uh, for you know, a big podcast, that's a big deal. If people can't get the episode yeah. when they want it, then you might have missed out on, you know, those uh, advertising impressions. So the stuff we're figuring out now is partly, you know, um, how can we make sure it's reliable for the customers we already have? But also, like, how are we going to be able to make this um, profitable in the future? We have to be able to right. make it reliable, but not too expensive. And um, when you start out, you're like, oh, this is, you know, AWS is cheap. This is, this is great, but it can get expensive fast. Yeah. Very, yeah, definitely can. So yeah, I think the, I would say the bandwidth is probably the most expensive part of this. Um, just because of how much data is being served or will be served aside from maybe like, you know, salaries or something like that you would pay if you hire people, but yeah, we don't got those. Um, yeah. Nope. <laughs> Uh, but surprisingly, like bandwidth is still, it's still pretty expensive. You know, you'd think with like, you know, on all these un other unlimited plans and unlimited phone plans and things like that, that, that it would be uh, a little bit more under, under control, but yeah, fortunately that's not, that's not the case. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, there's upsides and downsides to both using a CDN and then sort of rolling your own, but we'll see how, how far this one gets us. Yeah, we can always we can always add in more more like points of access and kind of kind of re reevaluate things down the road and you know if we're making more money and have some more resources we can change things up but yeah it seems to be working really well right now yeah exactly yeah um in a bit we're gonna get into I want to kind of dive into why we're using Rails in particular um, pros and cons of that but before we do that um I want to talk about our domain our uh yeah our domain structure. So mm -hmm. this is one thing um, that comes up a lot. It came up in my book, uh, Marketing for Developers. Right at the beginning, 
I talk about organizing your domain structure and the way I the way I advocate doing it is you have your marketing site on the naked domain. So for us, that's transistor.fm. But you put the app somewhere else. So either like app.transistor. In our case, it's dashboard.transistor. Uh, can you maybe talk about, because we have other subdomains too, what those are and why we're using them? Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, we have uh, the main bare domain, which it's all, it's currently well, with one exception, it's mostly all running on the Rails app itself. Yeah. Um, so we have the main page, which is just our marketing page, um, and sign up and and you know logging in and things like that, which we'll probably switch later. But um, yeah, we have that. We have the dashboard, which is where you manage your podcasts. Yeah. After you're logged in, we have. Uh, let's see, we have a feed subdomain and that's where all of our RSS feeds are served from. Yeah. And we have a media subdomain, which is where all the media files are host are served from. Um, and we have a images, uh, subdomain, which actually is pointed to CloudFront on AWS, which is their version of a CDN. Yeah. Um, and assets, uh, assets subdomain, which is serving like JavaScript and CSS from mm. CloudFront. Uh, and, and the reason for that is because uh, you kind of want your assets served from different subdomains or domains um, than your main web page, so that the browser can sort of there's like limits on the number of connections to to one domain. So if you split it up, the, the browser can actually like intelligently download multiple things at once. A little faster. Interesting. See, the yeah. reason I I normally uh, recommend separate domains is having your app and your marketing site on the same domain in the same server can cause all sorts of problems, <laughs> especially when you're scaling a marketing team. And so, you know, I've been involved with the, this is my third SaaS company I've worked for, but tons of consulting clients, and almost every time. Uh, the app and the marketing site are on the same domain. It, we end up having to split it and pull it apart, and it's really messy. And so being able to have a separate site for your marketing site where eventually when you have a marketing team, they can install WordPress or Webflow or whatever they want, mm-hmm. and also any tracking they want to do uh, themselves without having to bug a developer who has to redeploy the app all the time. Um, right. Yeah. And, and is there any other reason you've got like separate subdomains for like the media files and things? Is there other benefits to that and the feeds? Uh, um, the Yeah. I mean, aside from uh, having the browser be able to fetch things um, concurrently, uh, for me, it, it ends up being a little bit easier if let's say you wanted to pull a pull, pull the feed serving out of the app and have it be its own app. Right. Mm-hmm. So you could sort of just point the feed subdomain to an entirely different tech stack that's just serving RSS feeds without actually having to change, um, without having other people have to change their URLs and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the main reason I tried to like split things up basically by like what what their use is, right? It's like right now it's all pretty much the same app, um, but in the future we might, you know, split off bits that maybe get more traffic and, and need, you know, 
a different type of server, maybe some some different code. Yeah, totally. Uh, the only other one I I uh, recommend in the book is having a staging server, and the reason for that right now it's just two of us, so. Theoretically, yeah. Uh, we'll talk about my local development environment in a bit, but theoretically, I can you know I can sync it up and and uh, just run the app locally. But yeah. again, when your team grows and you want to be able to have a really great testing and deployment kind of uh, process, having an actual staging server, a real web server on the web that's not just on a local machine where you can test things out, have a bunch of people look at it. Uh, they don't need to run the app locally on their machine. can be really helpful. Um, for us, it'd be probably overkill at this point, but that's something else that some yeah. folks might want to consider. Yeah, we'll get there eventually. And you know, you can you can automatically have code be deployed there once it's merged in. Um, so we're using GitHub to manage all of our code, which you know probably most people do at this point. Yeah. Um, but you know you can you can have things like once a pull request is merged into your main branch, you can have it auto deploy it to staging, so you can test it out. Yeah, yeah, it's like that. Yeah, it can get really, 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 really cool workflows in there. Um, okay, so let's talk about Rails in particular because I think that's what most people are interested in. As a background, John, because I just want to stir things up a bit. Yeah, Ra- Rails is old now. It, there was Rails is yeah Rails is old. There was a time when when did you start using it? By the way, I started using it really early on. Um, I think it was still in you know beta. It was like it wasn't even one yet. Um, I started poking around with it just because it seemed like something pretty compelling and new. Yeah, and I think up to that point I was just like using PHP and a lot of WordPress, and I was just like, this is a mess. Yeah. Um, and I remember it being, you know, it, it was a very new approach, at least for me, for building a web app with the whole model view controller split. Yeah. Um, and it took a bit to get used to. Like, it was actually really confusing at first. Um, but it was also new, so there was no ecosystem. There were not many people using it. Um, but the people that were, you know, there were like IRC channels and stuff like that. Yeah. That, uh, there wasn't, you know, Stack Overflow was not a thing. You couldn't really Google for many results. This was like 2004. Yeah. Or something like that. I mean, which is crazy to think about that it's been that long. And what was the, like, the part of the attraction was, it was kind of like, it it gave you the skeleton or the scaffolding for a web app kind of out of the box, right? Isn't Wasn't that the, the idea? It, yeah, there was some of that built in, the scaffolding, which... Um, I think most people probably don't use. You can sort of have it auto-generate CSS and HTML for you. That's like a really basic, um, basic looking. Yeah. App. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was you know uh, David Heinemeier Hansen who uh, created the thing for basically through Thirty Seven Signals to build Basecamp. Um, you know, he had some some videos up of him like building a blog in like ten minutes with Rails, yeah. and it's like. Holy crap! Like this is this is insane. Yeah. Um. And yeah, I just kind of took it from there. So I've been using it a long time, pretty much as my main development tool. You know, you split off and do some JavaScript here, or there, and, and poke around with some other tools. But um, yeah, that's that's my history with it. I just stick with it because it's. I mean, partly it's what I know, and I can just. I'm very 
efficient with it and I can get things done really fast. Mm -hmm. Um, the ecosystem and the, the, uh, I guess user base is huge now and there's just tons of resources and lots of third party gems, uh, which you can download and use within your app to do, you know, different pieces of this and that and specialized tasks. Um, I remember when I was my first software job, it was, we were all based in .NET. And I remember the developers at the time, this was 2008. So this is, you know, Rails was becoming a thing and there's a lot of excitement and a lot of community and there's conferences and blog posts and videos. And, you know, there's all this excitement about and uh, like at future of web apps, like you would go to that conference and everybody was building something in Rails. Twitter was being built yeah. in Rails. GitHub was being built in Rails, like everything. And these .NET devs were kind of like looking longingly over at the community and, you know, <laughs> the Rails community, because yeah. it just felt like there was so much excitement. And um, when I was getting my local dev environment set up, I had my friend Francois helping me. And he's still a Rails developer. And I said, so what's the deal? Like, does it feel like Rails is kind of no longer the cool thing? And his comment was, uh, no, it, it's not the cool thing anymore. It's definitely going into its maturity phase. But there's benefits to that, too. Would you agree? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I would say it's like, I'm fine with it not being the cool thing. It, you know, it... Um. It's certainly mature. I think it. There's the benefits there that it's not changing every week, right? Like, so you have these newer frameworks built on JavaScript, and it just seems like there's something changing like every week, and it's. You just want to get some. You just want to get shit done, right? Like, yeah. You don't want to have to be like learning new things and changing your tools like every every other week. Um, yeah, that reminds me of uh, this video by Nate Cotney, who's the CEO of HiRise, and he has a video called "Should You Use Rails?" Uh, and uh, one thing he said is, "I think we as builders get attracted to the new innovations. You know, like there's that new thing that we really want to learn because we think it's going to make our life better. When often our life depends on getting stuff done really quickly and get it out the door into people's hands. So draft is made in Rails, not because Rails is the best thing in the world, but Rails is something I've been using since like 2005 when it was, I think, a .12 release. So I know it really well. All I want to do with draft was get this thing into people's hands and get this product momentum going so that I could make as many people happy as fast as possible. And there's just so much truth to that, you know? At the end of the day, you kind of got to use what you know. If you've already if you've been using a certain tool for a long time, it makes a lot more sense to just use what you know and be able to build things faster and get them out into customers' hands than yep. you trying to learn something new, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean that that said, there are certainly reasons not to use it. It has this kind of stigma against it that it's like Rails doesn't scale well and it's like a slow, Ruby's a slow language, which is true. It is slower performance-wise than a lot of other languages and it doesn't handle, um, you know, a lot of concurrent connections at once. But there's ways around that. Um, but if you're doing like a, a really, really high concurrency application you're probably not going to use ruby or rails anyway like you're not you're not going to start with that um you can always like i said you can always like 
take pieces of the app out and build them in another language um, that is possibly more scalable for that particular task. Um, like Twitter, I mean, Twitter was built in Rails, but they had a ton of problems. Like they, it just kept crashing because it just couldn't, they couldn't handle it. So they, you know, I think they rewrote yeah. most of it in Java, um, which again is a really mature language, but it's much more performant. But you know, not as maybe not as fun or enjoyable to work with. So yeah, there, there's going to be upsides and downsides to either one. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I think for the pros, I would. We would say the ecosystem's great. The ecosystem's great. The language is is just fun to use. Like Ruby is a fun language to use. It's it's very. I guess it was created for developer happiness. I guess that I think the the guy that created it said. Yeah. Um, it 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 reads a lot like English. You can write it a lot like English. That's pretty much. I mean, those are the main reasons, right? Like I enjoy it. Yeah. What I know. Um, I know a lot of people who use it and I can ask for help if I need it. Um, again, the ecosystem is great. The one thing I fear is that as it becomes less cool and new, um, maybe people won't be building gems or building open source um, projects built with Ruby anymore for like for new technologies. Mm -hmm. um, or, or that'll become like less and less popular to where like, now Rails is like behind the curve in, in a few areas. Um, I haven't really seen that happening yet, but you, you can sometimes see it with like the lack of updates to some particular gems, like haven't been updated in a couple of years, which might mean they're, you know, stable and finished, but um, yeah, might also mean that, that, that maybe that developer moved on to something else and, and is now, you know, programming a node or, or go or something like that. Yeah, totally. I would say another con, which is more uh, an issue with me just not being a great developer, is it's uh, it was a lot harder for me to get set up with Rails. Um, I had to have my friend kind of talk me through setting everything up. Yeah. And some of that was just, you know, we have certain dependencies for this app that, you know, I couldn't figure out on my own. But um, the kind of the new hot framework right now is Laravel. And um, I you know, was able to install a few, like get a few Laravel projects going. And it it's definitely has a feeling of being like, oh, this would be the next step. Like if, if, if you were going to make Rails even easier to get into, it would be Laravel. Yeah. And I think if you're just starting out and you already have experience with PHP, I would probably recommend Laravel now. Um, I know a lot of those guys, they've got a, they've got the, a lot of good things going on in that community. And the benefit of being kind of the hot, the hot topic right now. But again, if 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 you already have experience with the tool, and we want we ultimately just want to help customers get their podcast out on the internet and serving it to all their listeners. That's what we want, and we want to be able to build things as fast as we can. And Rails has the advantage that John knows it. And also, there are thousands of Rails developers out in the world, and if we need to hire somebody, um, there's still lots of folks to hire. <laughs> it's not. It's not like uh, we're going to be hurting for uh, you know finding people that uh, finding right. people that know Rails. Yeah, exactly. Um, I've had friends say, "Oh, you're still you're still using Rails? Like, 
What are you building it on? Uh, rails. What? Oh, really? Why? Um, and it's, you know, it doesn't bother me, but there's so many other frameworks out there. Like use what you know and don't hop into something because it's trendy. Uh, and there's no one right answer. Like they yeah. all essentially do the same thing, right? They render a web page and store data in a database. Yeah. Like, there's no comp. There's no comp. There's no competition. There shouldn't be. It's like that response is so ironic because it used to be all the cool Rails devs were like, "Oh, you use PHP? Oh, you're using right. Java? Oh, yeah. I just said but Java like, again. Uh, Java. Yeah. So yeah. it's so funny that now Rails is entering its maturity phase, and folks are like, "What Rails? Yeah, yeah. And you know, you, you can you can crap on Java, but Java's making a huge comeback too because people have built other frameworks with it. Yeah. Um, Java's huge. I mean, it's really, really popular language to use. So is JavaScript now. I mean, yeah. for a while, JavaScript was like, oh, JavaScript is terrible. Why would you use that? But like, yeah, new, newer versions come out and they, they improve the language. And, you know, JavaScript today is great. I mean, it's actually really, really fun to use. Yeah. Um, you might get some mail about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now tell tell me a bit when I was installing our our dev environment, Francois was like, "Woo, five point two RC one." Yeah, John likes to live on the edge. Uh, talk Living a little bit edge. about why we're using five point two. Why we're like that's the latest version, right? Yeah. So yeah. So Justin's uh, referring to Rails five point two, which is the latest release. Actually, it's not released yet. It's in release candidate mode, which basically means it's almost done. Um, I think Basecamp and Shopify are both already running on it, you know, two massively huge production applications, um, which, you know, kind of gives you a sense that, yeah, this is, this is fine. It's going to work. Um, but I, I used it for transistor. I upgraded because there was one particular thing I wanted to try out, which was, um, they added in something called active storage, which is a file storage mechanism for Rails, like built directly into it. Um, usually you would use like a separate gem to, to manage all that stuff. Um, and it it has like a built-in storage component now with a front-end JavaScript component, which will, you know, help you do like uh, upload progress bars and things like that. So I wanted to try that out. Ultimately didn't use it yet, didn't roll it out, um, but I still kind of want to poke around with it. But ultimately it's been stable and it's yeah. Been great. Perfect. This is a, a great time to talk about our first sponsor, John. We got a, we've actually had a few people reach out and say, "Can I sponsor this show?" And uh, our first sponsor is Bullet Train. Now, Ruby on Rails made it easier than ever to get kind of a web app going, but you still tell me if I'm if I'm right here. You still had to come up with a nice looking UI, right? So, yep. dashboard, pricing pages, subscription pages onboarding workflows. You had to build all of that stuff yourself, right? And we've even had some of this pain ourselves, haven't we? We have, yeah. We're, we're just building it from scratch. And, um, and even on top of that, you had to build your own way to manage user accounts, security, password resets. All of that stuff needs views. You got to see you know, what are you going to show the user? You got to have ways of managing all of that. Now, listen, folks, Bullet Train does all of that. 
It's basically SaaS in a box specifically built for Ruby on Rails apps. Uh, you can see a demo of what their pricing page looks like. They have a template for pricing pages. It's beautiful. It's based on Bootstrap. Go to bullettrain.co slash pricing. And that's actually their pricing page as well, but it's all running on Bullet Train. Um, by the way, there's also a hosted version for folks who aren't building their app in Rails. It, so it works with Python, Go, Node, etc. I'm really excited about this. This is There's so many projects. Uh, even my other project I built with my buddy Marty, I would have loved to have had this. I just think it's such a great idea. You pay for it once. You get you get to use it on your app. It'll save you hours of time, I think. Um, so we're really thankful to Bullet Train for sponsoring this episode of Build Your SaaS. Yeah. Go check them out, bullettrain.co, and tell them John and Justin sent you. Yeah, it looks like a, it looks like a great, uh, great solution for a lot of problems. Yeah. Well, well designed, well built. Um, I, I'm I'm excited about his his like what's on his roadmap too. So he's going to build in social logins uh, into yeah. it. He's going to have analytics integrations built in. So uh, I I think it's rad. And you pay for it once, and then you get the future updates. So it's like he's going to keep building on top of it, and you just keep getting it. You can keep implementing it into your app. Really, really Very cool. cool. Very cool. Yeah, I, I sort of have my. Well, I wouldn't say my own version of that, but I have like, you know, modules and, and uh, code that I've built over time and uh, can just sort of reuse and repurpose for, for different apps, you know, sign in and authentication and yeah, logging in and paying for things and integrating with Stripe. But it's all sort of yeah stuff I've done before that I can just sort of rehash. It, it's so helpful. If you've ever, uh, if you're in the Laravel community and you've used Spark, it's it's like that. It's like okay. basically everything in one box. Um, and yeah, if, 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 you've, if you haven't built that stuff before and you don't have it sitting around, just buy this and you don't have to worry about it. It's going to save you so much time. Very cool. All right. So what else are we going to talk about as we kind of close off the show? Um, is there anything we missed in terms of our setup that you wanted to talk about? Is there anything that people are going to get angry that you didn't talk about? Uh, All those devs out there going, wait a second, John, why didn't you go into this? Good question. You let that jackass Justin talk too much. Yeah, didn't really talk about our our particular AWS setup. All right. Why don't we go into that a little bit? Yeah, let's let's do that. And then let's talk about some listener takeaways. Cool. So the thing with AWS uh, that is great and also confusing is that they have they have so many tools now in their dashboard under the umbrella of AWS. I mean, it's like 80 different things you can do. Oh, yeah. It's overwhelming when you it, log in. It's amazing, right? So, yeah, it's they're, I mean, they're doing a really good job with that stuff. But there's also, you know, a handful of different ways you can host your application, um, different ways you can build out your, your infrastructure, whether it's OpsWorks or Code Deploy or... Um, God, they have a number of things. So there's probably like five different ways you can deploy. Um, we we went with OpsWorks uh, mainly because that's what I know and that's what I can use to set things up. It's it's also maybe like kind of an older tool, but uh, they're still updating it, supporting it. Um, but what that lets you do is sort of 
you know, you sign up for AWS and you get your, your database instance running. Um, you get your uh, Redis caching instance running. Uh, you get your what they call a load balancer running, which is this uh, top-level instance that takes all of your incoming web requests and splits up the requests between multiple web servers and sort of divvies it up. Um, so you can have a little bit of extra reliability and uh, performance built in. Um, and then OpsWorks sort of lets you hook those all those pieces together and define like a, a source where your code is coming from, which is GitHub. And then um, it allows you to, to configure a bunch of settings with your, uh, with Nginx, um, which is a web server that uh, runs the application. Uh, and then ultimately allows you to deploy the app directly from GitHub and, you know, run database migrations and compile JavaScript down and things like that. Um, so that's what we're using. Uh, we have a couple of web servers running underneath the load balancer so that, you know, if one goes down, you'll still have one working. It's easy, it's easy to add more uh, if, you know, we need more servers or bigger servers. You can kind of like add it and spread out the resources more. That might be it. I mean, it, you know, Rails is a pretty simple stack to, to run on in production these days. It just definitely used to not be like that, but... Yeah. What do you think about, um, so running it all on AWS versus something like Heroku? It used to be Heroku was the go-to. Uh, yeah. I know, it, I know it gets expensive quick, but why start with AWS? Well, the funny thing is, is Heroku is built on AWS. <laughs> they yeah. use AWS behind the scenes. So it, Heroku is amazing. I mean, it's still really, really good for deploying apps. It's super easy to set up. Yeah. Um, and that's that's where the extra cost comes in, right? Like I don't, particularly need that ease of setup um you know they're adding on top of the aws costs and charging you extra mm -hmm. um, and they you know they want to charge you for every little thing whether it's you know adding more memory or adding what they call dynos which is which are just more instance more servers into the mix yeah um, have the aws tools gotten better like is it is it now like i mean for me logging into the dashboard it feels overwhelming but is it yeah have they kind of caught up to Heroku in a bit, or is it still not? Not complex? really. No, okay. no, it's pretty complex. There's a lot you can do, but it's not quite as simple as Heroku, where you can, you know, deploy from the command line ease super easily, or use the web interface to configure. Just to, you know, you can't use like use sliders to configure how many instances you're using. It's not, yeah. it's not quite that friendly, but yeah. Um, well, let's get into what we kind of recommend for our listeners. So I think the first thing I'll ask you is, let's say you're an indie dev working by yourself. Would you recommend... Well, first, let's start with language. So indie dev, you know, they're looking to build a web app. What would we say? We're, we're basically saying use whatever tool you know best. Yeah. Right? Yeah, use what you know. Um, if if there's a language or a library or a framework that's going to work for a particular subset of your application, like go with that. Um, yeah, but I would say, you know, use what you know, use what, use, use something that you know you can, uh, that you have a community around you maybe, maybe a community that's close to you that you can ask for help. Mm -hmm. with. Yeah. Um, I think the community bit, it's actually important uh, because 
when you're when you're getting started, there's a bunch of advantages to having people around. Uh, one is just excitement. So when a lot of people are excited about something and they're all building stuff, you kind of get swept up in it. Um, the other is just kind of number of resources, right? So Ruby yeah. has all these gems you can use. Uh, again, Laravel's got all sorts of like stuff out there that you can use and just plug into your app so you don't have to build everything yourself. Um, and yeah, yeah. you're also going to be able to find answers online. Like there's just so many, I, I, I'm in a really small town, like uh, 30,000 people. And I personally know, I don't know, five Ruby on Rails developers here in town I can yeah. go and talk to. And sometimes cool. having someone you can sit next to at a coffee shop and say, hey, just show me this thing, really helpful. Yeah, so, yeah, it's, it's much better to learn through showing than reading. Yeah. Or, or a, a bang your head against the table for hours. <laughs> so now let's talk about hosting. So IndieDev, if they're getting started out, would you recommend still something like Heroku? I would, yeah, I would say I always recommend Heroku if it's like you need to get something up fast uh, and you're not super experienced doing DevOps, you know, which is the name for that particular subset of, you know, developers. Yeah. Um, yeah, Heroku's great. Uh, that's probably maybe one of the only ones I would recommend. I mean, especially for, for Ruby on Rails. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's very easy to set up. Uh, AWS, obviously, I would highly recommend. Yeah, and in the uh, Laravel community, I would recommend, I think, I think it's Forge, but I might be wrong about that. I think Forge is kind of like the... Oh, Forge lets you kind of manage where you, you can create a server on DigitalOcean, Amazon Web Services, etc. So if you're looking for some help, like some Heroku-like help with that, that's, uh, that's a good tool to use. Um, so that's kind of hosting and DevOps. Um, what else? What about uh, database? We, we chose, we didn't choose MySQL, which is the more popular one. Um, right. What, what do you kind of recommend there? MySQL is still really popular. Um, so Postgres is a SQL, also a SQL-based uh, database. Not directly compatible with MySQL, but I feel like it has a lot more uh, of an open source community now and a lot of really interesting features. Um, so it, it can do everything MySQL can do, but it has a lot of other features um, built into it now. Like you can store just blobs of JSON text in yeah. Postgres and like search through it. And um, it, it's sort of um, for readers that are, are not totally familiar, there's, there's relational databases, which is what Postgres and MySQL are. And then there's um, document-based databases like MongoDB. And Postgres now like sort of combines both of yeah. both relational and document based. So you can have these like data stores within your tables that act like a document store um, that you don't have to like migrate your whole database to, to change something. You can just like stuff a bunch of data in there and, and sort of um, build things on the fly really quickly, which is great. One thing we didn't talk about was uh, kind of our uh, our design framework. Are, yeah. Are, are we using Bootstrap? What are we? I don't even know what we're using. Uh, no, we're using. Well, we're using um something called Semantic UI. Okay. 
which is you know similar to Bootstrap or any other any other of those frameworks, um, but it's kind of highly customizable, um, more so than I think Bootstrap is. Um, it's especially great for building like dashboard type interfaces. Okay. So I'm using that as kind of its as the as the base, and then sort of customizing on top of that, customizing, you know, colors and adding in new components. And yeah, it's been great. I mean, it, it's hard to find one that sort of does everything and doesn't look too generic that you can still kind of customize enough. Uh, I didn't really feel like building out an entire framework. Yeah. Myself for this at this moment, you know, at some point, maybe down the road, we'll do that. Yeah, um, but right now this is this is great. Um, so it looks similar. It looks similar to Bootstrap. It's got a bunch of kind of starter layouts. It's got all your elements, buttons, containers, icons, all that stuff. Yeah, icons built in. You know, forms and it's a bunch of little different components that you can hook together to to build a nice interface. Um, it's fairly responsive for mobile. It's got a lot of nice like little JavaScript interactions built into it. Yeah, I've, I've been liking it. I mean, you know, has some downsides, like anything. You're you're going to kind of stuck at some when you use any sort of framework like this. You're sort of like stuck doing a few things their way, which is kind of unfortunate. But yeah, yeah, but you got to get started somewhere. That's right. That's really the main thing. Um, you know, uh, with any kind of decision like this, yes, you want to do some research, but don't like be worried about it forever or be thinking about it forever and not ship anything. Just put together what you think is a pretty good stack and then build something. And obviously if you run start running into problems, switch it up, but you, yeah. it's way more important that you get something out. And there are, I mean, MailChimp was built in PHP and that code base has got to be super old now. There's probably some really hairy bits to it that are a pain oh, to yeah. work on inside of it. But they got started and, you know, they're, they've been a really profitable business for a long time and they were doing PHP before there was any, any frameworks. So I come, I always come back to Stripe as an example of this because, um, you know, everyone now regards Stripe as like this really design forward company and all their designs are beautiful. Their documentation is beautiful for their API and how to integrate with it, uh, when I first when I started using it first, like it was garbage. It, the design, yeah. the dashboard was terrible. <laughs> um, the API documentation was pretty good because they sort of started out focusing on developers, which is an interesting. I think because they were developers themselves, but but obviously, like the dashboard was built by a bunch of developers who didn't know any design. They hadn't hired designers yet. Yeah, um, and it was like functional, but just really ugly. Uh, and it's, you know, matured over the years. And now it's just like really, really, really well-designed oh, site yeah. and dashboard and everything. I mean, it's great. Yeah. Um, so, so like, this, I don't think the success of your business is going to depend on like having the most beautiful hand, hand-rolled framework and design Yeah. Uh, right out the door. So. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Cool. Well, this is great. Uh, I know a lot of you folks were requesting this. If you have more questions about kind of the technical side of things, be sure to hit us up on Twitter. We're at Transistor FM. You can DM us on Twitter and on Instagram. We are Transistor.FM there. 
And you can email us, shows at transistor.fm. And, and apparently you can all, also reach us by live chat on yeah. our coming soon page, transistor.fm. Uh, John, where can people find you on the web? Uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, John Buda, J-O-N-B-U-D-A. Uh, Instagram at John Buda, but I rarely use that. Uh, <laughs> website, johnbuda.com. Send me an email. Cool. And I'm uh, M.I. Justin on Twitter and Instagram. Um, thanks so much again to our first sponsor, bullettrain.co. Please go check them out. Let them know that you heard about them on the show. And we will be back next Tuesday with another episode. See you then. Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm Justin and get 15% off your first year.